Luke 12.35 for the rest of us. Um, I'm actually going to try to cover um, 34 verses this morning, so we're not going to read them ahead of time. We're going to read them as we get to them. Uh, we've, got, we've got a lot of work to do this morning, so, so we're going to pray and then dig in. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You um, that our sin... Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, our sin, not in part, but the whole, all of it, has been nailed to the cross. We bear it no more. We thank You for Your grace. Pray that You would um, push us this morning through Your Word, by Your Spirit, because of the Gospel, You would push us towards building our whole life around You. Help us, in Jesus' name, amen. So, the thing that comes out as we study all of these verses, Luke 12, 35 through chapter 13, verse 9, as we look at these verses, this big passage today, the thing that's going to come out is Jesus is not the kind of person that you can have a casual relationship with. You can't carry on a casual relationship with Jesus. That just doesn't make any sense. Either, on one hand, either He is your Savior and your King, and 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 He's the He's the one that you are building your life around. Or so if He's not that, if that's not, if if, you know, you look at the Scripture and you're like, man, I just can't get there. That's not who Jesus is to me. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Then either He is that, or He is a psychopath. Right? He is a crazy person. He, he belongs in the dustbin of history with all the other crazy people who tried to get everybody to follow them and, and lay down their lives for, for him. Either, either he's one of those just crazy people that we don't, we don't need to talk about, we don't even need to acknowledge, just let him be in the corner talking to himself, or, or he is our only savior, our only king, our only hope in life and death. The only one worth building our life around. There's no casual relationship with Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. That's why in the New Testament, so often you have people, you have some people who want to kill Jesus because they think he's a monster, or you have people who would gladly lay down their life for him because he's their only hope in life and death. And once you read passages like what we're going to read today, Anything in between doesn't make any sense. So, so if this morning you're thinking, I, I, I might have a casual relationship with Jesus. I don't, like, I don't, I don't know. If you're thinking, you know, I, I, I don't really, I don't really think about Jesus much outside of church on Sunday morning. Jesus doesn't make much of an impact on my day-to-day life. I, I. I if that's kind of how you're thinking, or maybe you're even feeling like I'm in danger of that, then this passage will help you. Because what Jesus is going to do here in these 34 verses, He's going to make four bold statements. Four bold statements that just do not allow for a casual relationship. He's going to be either everything to us or He's going to be nothing. And He's going to be just completely ignorable. He either, we either build our life around Him or just ignore Him. Someone who talks this way is either 
our only Savior and our only King, or He is a crazy person. We don't have to think about Him ever again. Jesus is going to make four bold statements that push us right now, right now towards building our life around Him. Four bold statements that right now push us towards building our life around Jesus. So let's, let's do bold statement number one is this. Now is the time for faithful service. Bold statement number one. Now is the time for faithful service. Luke 12, 35-48 says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 41, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or, or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, he will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what, what deserved a beating, he will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Every time I read these verses... I think of a guy um, who, his name is Randall Goodgame, and he does music for kids. He, he puts together, he's, he's in charge of this thing called Slugs and Bugs, and they make, um, they make music for children. And, it's a, and we've got all of his albums, I think, and he's got a few that are called Sing the Bible, you know, volume one, two, three, and they're just scripture verses that he's set to music, and it's really well done. I, I am... Um, the only reason I don't want my kids to grow up and move away, no, one of the reasons, sorry, one of the reasons I don't want my kids to grow up and move away is because I, I want an excuse to listen to his music because it's just really, uh, it's really good. And he does this passage. He does, be dressed, ready for service, keep your lamps burning. Funnily enough though, he never gets to the part about cutting in pieces and, and putting with the unfaithful. That doesn't make it into his children's song. Crazy, huh? And we can understand why, perhaps, that shouldn't be in children's music. But, it 100% has to be in our understanding of Jesus. It absolutely 
has to be in our understanding of Jesus. Because on one level, absolutely, Jesus is our gracious Savior. He is a benevolent King. He is grace upon grace upon grace for all those who have been brought into His kingdom. But if you are an unfaithful servant, if you don't honor your King with the way you serve others, you will be severely punished. You you will be cast into with the the unfaithful, with with the people who deserve severe punishment. See, mostly what Jesus is talking about here is, um, and this is is a a double-edged sword for people in ministry. Because mostly what Jesus is talking about here is, is folks who have ministry roles within the kingdom of God. They're expected to teach and to preach God's Word. They're expected to shepherd and guide and counsel people. So to a certain degree, this is pastors and elders and Sunday school teachers and Bible study leaders. People like that. People who, because of their particular gifts, have been given ministry roles. And the, and the double-edged sword here is, is this. If, if they don't serve faithfully, if they abuse their power, if they neglect the Word of God, if they are selfish or cruel or lazy, if they dishonor their Master, they will be severely judged. Probably the thing that keeps me up most at night, the thing that I am just all, just, it's always in my mind, in one level, is, is that Scripture is packed with warnings for those who would hold ministry positions. Be faithful. Now, I say it's a double-edged sword because the other side of this is so life-giving for me. Look at verse 42 and 43 again. The Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? That's faithfulness. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So as a pastor, this is so encouraging. Because even though I am super hip, um, is that, do people still say hip? I don't know. Maybe they don't. I'm a, I'm one, I'm one swell dude. Like, just because I, just because I am really cool, really cutting edge, I don't have to be. I can take a week off anytime I want from being an impressive superstar. It's exhausting, I'll tell you. The life of the celebrity. It's, it's not, it's not easy. Not easy. No, I don't have to be. I don't have to be that. I have to give you your portion of food at the allotted time. You show up on Sunday morning, I say, here's the Word of God, let's feast. That's all I have to do. And the next week, got to do it again. Week after that, got to do it again. I don't, I don't have to... I don't, I don't have to be anything else. I get... I get um, like, uh, like uh, We got a whole stack of brochures. Um, somebody wasted a lot of ink and printing money on. Um, and they're, just, they're, they're inviting our church to some retreat or some camp or some something or other. And, uh, and so I didn't, I'd never heard of the speaker. And so the, the, uh, for the speaker's bio, all it basically said was that he grew his church from 35 to 1,000 people. Oh, that's neat. That's cool. That's fun. Does he faithfully feed his people every single week? Does he open up the Word of God for his people every week and say, let's feast? I don't think I'm going to encourage you guys to go to, a, to an event where the reputation of the speaker is anything but that. If I encourage you to go to an event, to go to a conference, to go to a retreat, it's because I know that the speakers are going to open up the Word of God like they do every Sunday and say, let's feast. 
They're going to give their people the food at the allotted time. That's so life-giving for me because I will tell you, I'm, I, I was joking earlier when I was talking about my celebrity status. That was actually a joke. And um, not super hip, not super innovative. Um, I'm not. And the beautiful thing is I don't have to be. I just need to be faithful with the Word of God. I just need to love you and listen to you and pray for you and encourage you and remind you of Scripture and feed you the Word of God. Now, of course, the other side of that is, is if I don't do that, if I'm not faithful to do that, there is severe punishment. But this isn't just for those in leadership positions. The end of verse 48 kind of lumps us all together. It says, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So we all, in our own ways, in our own spheres of influence, in our own families, in our own um, job situations, we all have opportunities to be faithful to teaching others the Word of God. We all have opportunities to lead according to the Word of God. We all have have opportunities to, to remind each other to to submit to the Word of God. To believe and to to submit. So are we being faithful with the opportunities God is giving us? I will tell you, if you have have been a part of a a church that that teaches the truth, if you've been to Sunday school classes where you are learning the, the truth, you have been given much. You have been given much. So again, that's great. That's a huge blessing. That's amazing. But the people who willfully squander that, who are selfish and lazy and cruel and do not serve each other the, the Word of God, the, the, the return of Jesus is going to be a very scary thing for them. It will be a time of severe punishment. He is our King. He deserves our faithful service. And, and when we refuse to serve Him faithfully, we are showing that our heart is not with Him. Our heart has not been changed by His Spirit. We have not been brought into His kingdom. We are doing our own kingdom. We will be punished. That's bold statement number one. That's not something that someone who is fine with a casual relationship says. That's the first bold statement pushing us toward building our whole lives around Jesus. Now is the time for faithful service. Old statement number two, now is the time for fierce loyalty. Now is the time for fierce loyalty. Luke 12, 49-53. Jesus, again, Jesus is not relenting here. He is just coming after us. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two and two against three. They they will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, once again, on one level, these verses are great. When Jesus says, I mean, they're, they're, they're humbling and they're sobering, but they're great. Because Jesus says in verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with. 
and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. What Jesus is, Jesus doesn't mean baptism the way we, we think of it. Jesus is referring to the cross. He's, he's saying, I have set my face towards Jerusalem. I am headed toward the cross. I am headed to be baptized by my Father. And what he means by that is that the cup of God's wrath, the great anger, the great, the great punishment that God has for our sin is going to be poured over Jesus. It is going to flood over Jesus. And so Jesus, as He's getting closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem, to the cross, and His, his distress is building. And I think we all know this, don't we? When we know, when we know something painful is coming, and we are kind of trying to like, get ready for it. We know on a small, small level. But we can't even imagine what kind of distress Jesus is going through when He knows what's coming. That He is going to bear the shame and the curse and the death and the judgment and the anger for all of our sin. This is Jesus' determination to save us. And we love this. This is amazing grace. We love it. But that's not all He says here, is it? Because Jesus also says, He's come to bring fire. Which by that, He means division. So it's funny that, um, you know, when the, when the angels were saying, Jesus is born! Peace on earth! And Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. Wait, what? Who's wrong? The angels said, you need to, you need to work on your messaging. Alright? You gotta get, you gotta get your marketing people, or marketing angels, whatever they are, you gotta get them the same page because you guys are saying different things. What's going on? Well, because the angels are talking about peace with God. Jesus absolutely brings peace with God. Through His cross, we are now at peace with God. But the problem, and the, the other side of that, that Jesus is talking about, not everybody wants that. Not everybody thinks that's a good idea. A lot of people are deeply offended by the idea of the cross. A lot of people when they hear that they're so wicked that someone had to die for them to take their punishment, that is offensive. That is offensive. Paul calls that in 1 Corinthians a stumbling block. People cannot, they cannot get over that. It bothers them. Bothers them. They see the cross as a horrible, offensive lie. And then, Maybe they kind of start to think, oh, I, I understand the cross. I, I, I can kind of do that. That seems kind of, that's, that's like the, that, I, I, can, I can do that. But then they hear how Jesus wants us to live. What Jesus says about sex and money and honesty and marriage and faithfulness to Him no matter what. And then they're like, ah, forget that. If that's who Jesus is, I don't want that. So either they make up a new Jesus in their own kind of their own imagination, cutting and cutting the stuff out they don't really like, and bringing in stuff they kind of do like, and or they just ditch them all together. And Jesus says, "This is why there will be times when I divide people. There will be times when even people that you are like they're in your family, they're they're close with you, you've grown up with them." Jesus will, will, will say, sometimes, because you're loyal to Me, you're going to lose people in your life. 
And we're not trying to. We're not trying to push people away and abandon people and say, fine, forget you, I'm out. But there will be times where Jesus is the dividing line. When because, because Jesus is the one that you're building your whole life around, and you're saying, no, I'm not going to do that because Jesus says no. Because His Word says no. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to believe that. I just, I'm not. I'm not there. I just, I belong to Jesus. And so this is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to believe. Since, since that's where you are and that's your fiercest loyalty, you, the, the people in your life are going to self-eliminate. They're going to distance themselves sometimes in hateful, antagonistic ways and sometimes they're just, they're just going to drop out. Jesus says, if that time comes, you choose loyalty to Him over any other loyalty. So we have to, when, when Jesus says something this intense, when He says something this intense, this dramatic, we say, is this just a psychopath who everybody should just ignore? Just let Him do His own thing? Start some weird little 20-person cult way far away? Is that who this is? Or is this the the only Savior? Is this the only King? When we consider His cross, His majesty, His glory, His grace, is He worth our fierce loyalty? Jesus has made a couple of bold statements, hasn't He? He said, he said, now is the time for faithful service. Now is the time for fierce loyalty. Here's the third bold statement. Bold statement number three. Now is the time for the fruit of repentance. Now is the time for the fruit of repentance. Starting in verse 54. Jesus says, verse 54, He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. Uh, these are just people that can kind of look and see, and this is, uh, this is, what, this is what's going to happen with the weather, right? Uh, when, you, when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. That's fall in Indiana, I guess. And it happens. 56, you hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. Like you can tell kind of what the weather is going to do by, by looking at the sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Jesus says, how can you not... Begin? And when he, when he calls them hypocrites, now he's tying, this, he's tying this little spiel right back to all the times where he said to the Pharisees, why, why? Do you not repent and believe that the kingdom of God is at hand? You have been called to, to repent and believe that the kingdom of God is at hand. You see all that I do, Jesus says. You, you hear all that I say. How I speak with authority. You see Scripture fulfilled in your very midst. And yet you refuse to repent and believe that the kingdom has come. You, can, you, you know what the weather is going to do by looking at the clouds, but you can't see the signs that I have done, the authority with which I speak, the Scriptures that are fulfilled in your midst. You refuse to repent. You refuse to turn to Me as Messiah. 
Carrying on, verse 57, And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. So why is Jesus talking about this right now? So we gotta, we got to just keep all of this stuff sort of in context. Jesus is building an argument here. What is He doing? So He's not just talking about some legal matters all of a sudden. No, what Jesus is doing is He's, 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 he's using this little parable type thing to, to, to talk about settling up with God. Over and over and over here, Jesus is going to say, you're running out of time. You're running out of time. The, 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 the day and the hour is coming when you're going to stand before the judge. Settle up now. Settle up now. Turn from your sin. Trust Jesus. He is the only one who can pay the debt that you owe God. Turn to Jesus. Believe the Gospel. You're running out of time. In chapter 13, carrying on with the same theme, and there was and there was some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What is Jesus talking about here? The, uh, the, 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 people talk, the people say, hey, hey, you remember in the Galileans? The way that Pilate killed them and just this, this atrocious, public, humiliating way? Do you remember that? Jesus says, yeah, yeah, but that's, that, that doesn't mean that they were worse sinners than other Galileans. He's, and then Jesus offers up his own little scenario. He says, do you remember when, when, when that tower in Siloam fell on all, all those people? 18 people died? Jesus is saying, I, I can, I can, I can bring up tragic, um, heartbreaking news item deaths. We can talk about those for a while. I've got, I've got more if you want to talk about them. Jesus is saying those, those tragedies don't mean that the victims of those tragedies um, were worse sinners than anybody else. That's not what those tragedies teach us. Jesus says those tragedies teach us what every death teaches us. That death is coming for all of us. And unless you repent, you will perish. Now, now, when Jesus speaks of perishing, always in the Bible, He's not just referring to um, when our physical bodies give out, when our heart stops beating and our lungs stop working and we expire. That's not what He's talking about. He's referring to the judgment that we face after the physical life is over. So He's saying, if you do not want to perish, if you do not want to be judged for your sin, then you need to repent. You need to repent. So every one of these tragedies, when, we've, when we see tragedies on the news, we see heartbreaking deaths, 
We see things that should never have happened. When, we, when, when someone who is um, old, and I'm not going to use a number because then you're like, well, I'm not ready to die. I'm not old, so I'm not going to use a number. But anyhow, when someone's old, 147. Okay, now we're safe. When someone's 147 and they die in their sleep, we're like, yeah, that makes sense. But then there are other deaths, right, that don't make sense to us. And they are heartbreaking. And they are tragic. And, 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 they're, and, and we're just like, what is going on? Jesus is saying, though, that the time when, when you see the heartbreaking, tragic deaths is not to say, oh, that, that victim there must have been somehow worse than everybody else. No, that's not, that's not what you need to learn from that. What you need to learn is that death is coming for all of us. And if we don't repent of our sin... If we don't turn to Jesus, we're going to suffer punishment. We're going to perish. And then he says, verse 36, or, or chapter 13, verse 6, then he says, and he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. This is the culmination of what Jesus is saying. And he said, verse 7, to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. What is Jesus saying here? Now, on one level, he's speaking directly to the nation of Israel and the fact that they are running out of time. Some of them have turned to Jesus, have, have, have seen by God's grace that, that He is the Messiah. Many of them, in fact, you could say kind of because it's so many, sort of the nation as a whole has rejected Him. So Jesus is saying, you are running out of time. That, that idea of, we'll give you one more year, that's the idea. That, I mean, it's not just, it's not exactly 365 days. It's the idea of you are, you are running out of time. And so it's, it's true for the nation of Israel during the time of Jesus, but it is also true for all of us right now. We are running out of time. We are running out of time. And so what Jesus is saying to, to anybody who will listen, you need to bear the fruit of repentance. You, which, which means, just like fruit grows on a healthy tree, it means your life must show that you hate your sin. Your life must show that Jesus is your Savior. Your life must show that you have repented and believed the Gospel. Now, as we always say, we have to stop. So if you're, if you're, if you're having a hard time, I know I'm preaching long this morning. I, I, I'm not sorry. But I, you know, it, I, I am trying to eventually finish the sermon. But if you have, so if you've kind of zoned out, come back in and listen real quick. Your, your good works don't save you. You could never, ever do enough good stuff to be accepted by God. Never, ever. But Scripture is also clear. If you have been born again, if the Spirit has given you new life, a new heart, if the Spirit has given you faith in Jesus Christ because of the, because of the, 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 the eternity-old grace of God, the Spirit has done this. 
and you have been forgiven of your sins, you have believed the Gospel, then there will be the fruit of repentance. If, if, if Jesus is your only hope in life and death, if Jesus is your Savior and your King, then, then your life will look like it. And the word in this par- parable to us is, if Jesus comes back and finds you trying to carry on some half-hearted, casual relationship with Him, if you are not living in ways that are, are honoring to Him, if you're not asking yourself, well, what, was the, what would the Word of God have me do here? How would the Word of God have me speak with my children? How would the Word of God have me treat my spouse? How would Jesus have me use my money? What does it look like to honor Christ with my thoughts? Am I, am I dwelling on, on lustful or bitter thoughts? What would Jesus have me repent of? If you don't care about obeying the Word of God or honoring Christ with the way you live, then Jesus' return will not go well for you. This is not, this is not you and me living a perfect life 24-7. This is us hating our sin. When we, when, when, when our sin is revealed to us by the grace of God and we see, oh my word, I have been living in ways that, that dishonor Christ, that disobey scripture. This is us hating that, being repulsed by that. We're confessing that. Striving by God's grace to turn our back on that. And live more and more and more in ways that honor Jesus and obey His Word. If that's not you, if you don't really give Jesus or His Word much of a thought when you're not in church, then His return is not going to go well for you because you're proving that you've never been saved by His grace. On one level, this is beautiful because it's this, there's this implied promise, isn't there, in this, that, that if we have been saved by God's grace, then, then there will be fruit. And so, it's a wonderful promise that we can grab hold of and look for in our life and fight for in our life. It's a great thing. But like all of these, it's a double-edged sword. Because if there is no interest in that, there is no desire for that, a very bad sign. That's his third bold statement. Lastly, bold statement number four. Bold statement number four. This might be the craziest one of all. The time is coming when Jesus will dress Himself for service. The time is coming when Jesus will dress Himself for service. Let's go all the way back to our very beginning verses. Chapter 12, verses 35-38. through 38. I'm going to read them again. It says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their Master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. And then, and then listen, listen to this. Listen to this. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awakes when he comes. Truly I say to you, he, Jesus, 
will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed, infinitely, indefatigably, undefeatably happy are those servants. So the same, now just stick with me on this, because this is ridiculous. The same Christ who willingly sacrificed himself for us, who was flooded with the wrath of God, the immense pain and curse and displeasure and forsakenness from God that we can't even imagine, who, who intentionally set his face to Jerusalem in order to be submerged in the punishment that we deserve. That same Jesus is going to dress himself to serve us. That same Jesus is going to come and he's going to find us and he's going to say to us, sit down. Relax. Let me get you something to drink. Let me get you something to eat. What sounds good? Sit down. Let me serve you. And of course, if we could, we would say, no, 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 no. You cannot serve us, Jesus. We must serve you. You have done so much for us. You You are so worthy of our service. We don't deserve for you to serve us. This is ridiculous. This is too much. Jesus, you, you created us with the word of your power. And then by that same word, you held our bodies and our lives together. You gave us breath and strength even as we were running from you and ignoring you. You died for us when we rebelled against you. You, on that cross, claimed us as your own. You gave us righteousness. You intercede for us before the Father. You have given us the fruit of righteousness by Your Word and by Your Spirit. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. You are the treasure and You are the strength to behold that treasure. You are building us a home in heaven. Stop serving us, Jesus! Stop! Let us serve You. And He'll say, no, I got you. What do you want to eat? Jesus is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. We cannot truly fathom the goodness and mercy of Jesus. This is not a Savior and a King you can have a casual relationship with. This is a Savior and a King who deserves all of our love, all of our trust, all of our obedience. He is a Savior and a King who we build our lives around. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for everything You've poured out on us through Jesus Christ. We cannot... We cannot get our mind around the goodness of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. Every once in a while, every once in a while, I think I'm kind of getting there, kind of getting to understand just how worthy of all of just everything He is. And then I and then I get popped with a, a scripture passage like this, where it says He's going to, after all of that, come and serve us. What is going on? How is that possible? Help us to see Jesus as He truly is in Your Word. This cannot happen apart from Your grace. Your your Spirit must do this work in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Your Spirit must do this. And it must flow from Your eternal joy and love and kindness. We are completely dependent upon You. And so I pray for, for all of us who have a desire that You have given us to, to live in ways that honor Jesus, I pray, God, that we would just pursue that. 
pursue that, pursue that, pursue that until Christ comes or until our life on earth is done, that we would just that we would live lives that honor our King who is so worthy of anything of, of far more than what we could do for Him. And then I, I also pray for anybody who's just like, I don't know, I just this is a bit much. Jesus has said some crazy stuff in these verses. I don't know. Pray that you would open up hearts and minds to believe the, 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 the whole Gospel. See Jesus as He truly is. That He is our only hope in life and death. And He is the King that we are to build our lives around. Help us all. In Jesus' name, Amen.